the sky ain't a worry in my mind. Looks like we're in the clear, clear, clear what is going on you guys and welcome back to another episode of our portfolio update series i'm joined today with my father mark and i think we're going to dive straight into things because we got a big review here we added since our last review dad actually a total of seven additions seven buys in the portfolio we actually made a sell and we're going to have a bit of a new format today we're going to start off with just sharing with you guys the total portfolio value and as of today we're looking at fifty thousand dollars fifty thousand six hundred and eleven dollars and for those that have been following, again, just as a reminder, we started this portfolio at a $40,000 level. So with the growth, with the contributions we've been adding, we're up about $10,000 over the past, give or take five months, been about five Pretty months much or five so. months, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much five months or so, so moving in the right direction. But uh, we did have a comment in from Ryan G, who says, I gotta say, this is amazing content. Thank you, Ryan. Those charts add context I haven't seen before. Thanks, Brandon and Mark. One small suggestion, the portfolio review segment generally gives away your purchases as I see the new additions before you even talk about them. Have you thought about doing the purchases segment first and then the portfolio review secondarily? Just a thought. He says, love this battle anyways. And you know what, Dad? I think we're going to run with that. We're going to try and change it up a little bit and save the actual overview for the end of the video. As always, we do have timestamps down below. But um, yeah, I, th I think, I think that's I think, a good idea. I, I yeah. like Ryan's suggestion. And I think what he's saying is, um, let's go through sort of the activity, what you've done, and then sort of wrap it up and summarize it at the end. And, and I, I like that. It's a, it's a, it's a good I, way of sort of finishing off the video, I think. I think he's right. Maybe it frames mm. it better. It frames it mm. better for when you do look at the whole portfolio, you'll see, oh, well, these are the reasons why we did what we did. Mm. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, we'll do that. But l let's actually start off with our, our Q&A. And by the way, if you guys enjoyed these videos, if you love these updates, we're going to keep them coming for you. Just take a moment and drop a thumbs up. That helps the channel so much. Leave your comments down below. We do always have our investing academy. So if you are looking for courses and training in Canada, that's that first link down below. But we are going to be starting off with the Q&A segment, which if you ever have any questions, you always leave them down below. We have a question here from newbie or new underscore B. Historically speaking, how are the cash balance for the financial institutions and investment firms been doing at the moment as opposed to the 2008 financial crisis? I was under the impression that people and banks that are invested in the markets have a lot of cash on hands, which would suggest that a big correction is unlikely. Just a couple of years ago, we didn't have all these YouTube videos with full of insights, tips, tricks, and how to invest in the markets. With all the new apps, investing has never been so easy. With that in mind, markets could keep going up and they could keep going up for a long, long time. And it's a great thought there by newbie with four thumbs up from the viewers. I guess there's a, that's a two-part question, talking about the cash on the financial institution's hands and the difference there between the financial crisis and whether that is a catalyst for this market to continue pushing up mm -hmm. and um, that a big correction is unlikely. Yeah, I'll speak to that, Brandon, because I, I haven't looked to see, you know, which of the major institutions, you know, where they're at with cash balances, but I do know through experience that you're going to see a wide, a wide variety. I think... Overall, there is more uh, a higher cash balance now than you'll see, you know, during most of the times. An interesting uh, take that Newbie has on this, uh, suggesting that because there's such a high cash balance, it means that's less likely we're going to see a big crash. And I, I'm not sure whether the concept there is because things are more balanced. Uh, there's ballast on on the cash side. I'm not sure. I would actually think that the fact that there is a you know when there is a higher cash balance that's almost indicative of some concern. And if we're looking at the big financial institutions carrying those balances, 
they have the insight. Uh, I, I would take that as a, a more cautious signal, actually, than I would a more aggressive signal. Mm. Uh, he, he does conclude by saying there that the markets can go up a long time while we're waiting for that crash. And that's absolutely true. There's no question about it. Uh, that's why you know we sort of we all always advocate having some of your money at least you know have that that portion of your money invested as we do in these portfolios we don't know which way the markets are going to go uh you know i think regular viewers will know our stance we think the markets are pretty frothy right now so there's a, a, a probability a possibility of a pullback that's okay we're not worried about that we're still going to have uh you know we're going to take a, a hit when that happens but we're going to have um uh, you know, we have solid investments for the most part that are going to ride that out. We do have cash sitting on the side and some fixed income that we can always slide into the markets if we uh, if we need as well. So I think we may disagree a little bit on the meaning of all that cash. If, in fact, there is a high cash balance, I would take that as a sign of caution. Uh, newbie mm -hmm. takes it uh, as a more comforting sign. So um, we'll... You know, it depends I on how you look at it. And I think the fact of the matter is the cash balances will be higher coming out of the financial crisis with basically some stricter, some some tighter uh, policies in terms of how much cash these banks and the financial institutions have to own. So making that apples to apples comparison, you are going to see more. It's more or less just about how you decide to, to look at it. And that, I do kind of lean with you there, dad, but I do totally respect where uh, this newbie's comment is coming from. And, and, and I mean, absolutely. Like I say he ended with the markets can keep climbing and, and, and the markets climb a wall of worry, right? So there's no doubt that uh, the fact, you know, the, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next month. So it's always, understanding what your risk tolerance is and and uh, playing it accordingly. Now he did also, he or she, did mention uh, the fact that, well, I think the words were investing has never been easier or something to that effect mm -hmm. because there's so much, I'm interpreting it as so much access to information. And on that, I would be careful because access to information doesn't necessarily mean that it's correct information. You always have to weigh off, uh, you know, in, in every field, every endeavor right now, you have to look and see, gee, what's the validity of the information? So having access to it, and yes, is it easier to uh, make investments? Is it easier to buy and sell Absolutely. stocks? Without question, way, way, way easier than it ever has been. Uh, I, again, I think maybe apples and oranges, that doesn't mean investing is easy. The act of buying a stock is easier today, without question, but you still have to go back to the same rules that apply as an investor, as a prudent investor. So uh, again, uh, good comments. I really appreciate that feedback. Uh, there's a little bit of ambiguity to it, to, to each of the comments, but uh, I hope that this, hope my take on this has sort of helped uh, our viewers maybe weigh, weigh the pros and cons of those suggestions. Mm -hmm. Jonathan asks, sorry for the criticism, but you guys do do great videos. I just wanted to say, I don't like how you guys use the RSI because it really doesn't show anything important for long-term value investing because the momentum of a stock won't tell you anything about what you should be spending your time on stuff when you should be spending your time on like reading stuff like the annual reports, making sure the long-term prospects of a business are intact and the cash flow is growing and stay or staying stagnant. Also, I don't agree with you guys when you say that higher risk means higher reward, which is true sometimes, but not all the times, because when you are a value investor, Graham style, the more undervalued the stock is the higher the return and the lower the risks. So essentially the opposite, even for long-term value investing, high risk doesn't mean high reward. I hope you guys, I think you guys, I think you guys forgot the definition of risk. It is the amount of permanent loss of capital. Risk is not volatility. So if the company is a wonderful company, let's say Coke, when Warren Buffett, when Warren Buffett bought it, there was no real risk, maybe like 1% or less, but the company was in such a good position and the in the competitive market 
and their moat was huge. Thank you for considering my arguments from Jonathan. I love this. It's more of a comment, I think, than a question or more comments. But this this comment encompasses so many different things. And first of all, never apologize for disagreeing with our strategies. I mean, that's a very you, you are a very mm -hmm. polite contributor. And so, uh, you know, we're always open to ideas and sharing. And that's part, you know, part of the, the forum that we have here is to throw out ideas. And and we do welcome uh, opposite opinions. That's, in fact, what makes the market. You weren't rude, um, so don't feel bad about that. Uh, for for uh, for starters, mm -hmm. let's talk great about comment. a couple a couple of yeah, great comment. Let's talk about a couple of things. Um, the RSI first, yes, I want to make it very clear, and I'm not sure which video, probably the last the last update that we did, uh, we referenced RSI. I think in answer to a question about what time frames we use for RSI, and there's shorter time periods, longer time periods. Um, I do believe that RSI uh, is used more effectively for shorter term. I think that agree that uh, agrees with Jonathan's comment here. What we don't suggest is that that is the that is the uh, the only metric that you look at. In fact, we totally agree. Look at the annual reports. We are fundamentally, uh, you know, we're fundamental investors first. You know, you look at the, the the stability of the company, what the prospects are for the company. Go through all of those things first before you decide. Now, what we usually do not always but usually if we're trying to decide whether we should be selling or buying a company we look uh we kind of marry up those fundamental uh research aspects with some of the technical indicators rsi being one of them so that is only a piece of that decision making process uh so i agree in one respect that that you um that you don't base a long-term investment strategy over short-term you know strength uh yep but could it play a factor in the decision as to whether you want to uh, pull the trigger and buy, or I could say, or yeah. sell a company now? Um, I think that uh, I think that it, you know, for us, I think it's a legitimate uh, uh, yeah. component to go into, into that uh, decision. I, I think we mentioned that too, just to just to clarify. Like we use the RSI at the very end of our research process, where it's mm. basically, as you mentioned, there it's that tipping point as to uh, whether we would trigger a buy or sell, or just a piece of that puzzle, because. Yeah, again, he's correct when he says that, you know, a metric like this, that a momentum metric doesn't tell you anything about value investing. But if you've already established that a stock is a good value buy, if you're taking a value approach, you say, hey, this stock is undervalued. It's got a good mode. It's one that I want to own for the next 10 years. Then you can then you can come in and use that RSI at the very end and say, oh, look, well, maybe we are seeing a little bit of a bottom here. It seems like there's a bit of momentum picking up off this um, off this low. So, again, it's the final ticking point. You may look at it as uh, in terms of your your buying process, but again, I don't. Yeah, as you said, we're not. We never said by any means that, that that's what you base your your your, yeah. your buys off of. And, and um, just FYI, I do have one of my screens. It looks at RSI, and so um, you could say. And sometimes, I mean, I might look at a, a low RSI or a high RSI, and that could bring something to my attention. Mm -hmm. then go through and so it, it could be in either order but but um the predominantly you're going to look at that oh let me look at this company you're going to go straight to the fundamentals see if it's worth buying and then use that as one of the deciding factors so uh right. good point on that as or, well brandon i want to talk about yeah, risk as well because yeah. uh, jonathan with all of the greatest respect we disagree on the definition of risk because specifically when you're an investor there are two different risks and you know through my entire career uh, you know, I wrote a million exams during the during the uh, the time I was working, and even for example, in an investment policy statement, 
a, a good solid investment policy statement should uh, define what those are. So there's two. The first of all, there's the ability to take on risk. And I think this is what, uh, so sorry, really quickly there as well. I hope we didn't say, if we said risk equals return, we misspoke on that because risk equals the opportunity for return. So high risk, high reward, that's a that's a theoretical piece of information, but by no means is there a direct correlation or there's no means taking on high risk means you're gonna get a high reward. Um, to your point, uh, risk means uh, your ability to take on, on risk. So if you are a younger investor, if you have a high level of earnings, if your risk tolerance is high, this is the, it's a preference as to your investment strategy that's one definition of risk. Another is the ability, another subset to that is the ability to take on risk. Even if you have a very high risk tolerance, if you have a million bucks that you're planning on using it to buy a house in three weeks, well, then even though you might want to take on the high risk, you, you don't really have the capacity or the ability in that circumstance to do that. So there's two sides to that. There's um, also, I guess the third thing is there's um, a risk is volatility. I mean, the, the definition of risk, uh, one of the definitions specifically is the variance from the mean or from, from the norm. So uh, high volatility could be a, a statistic measure uh, or sorry, risk could be a statistic measure. It could also be something internal. So, um, you know, if you're a younger investor, no, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry to cut you off. No, you can finish your thought there, but yeah, I think it really depends on who you're talking to. Risk can mean many different things to many different people. And I think Jonathan clearly comes from a perspective of a value investor. He even mentions the Graham yeah. principles, a Benjamin yeah. Graham type value investing. And that's fair. If you are truly and strictly and only following the value investing approach on mm -hmm. invest on the stock market, you know, you may look at risk very differently than someone who is, let's say, like you said, 60, may not have the ability to bear risk. Then for them, a, a volatile asset like Bitcoin could be way too risky for them. That mm -hmm. said, if you are a value investor and you find a stock that, hey, it may be quite volatile, but it's still severely undervalued, then there's a lower risk profile there in your case. But I, I don't think what's fair from Jonathan is saying that his way of looking at investing saying that his value approach, which is clearly what he sees eye to eye with, is what every single person out there should be um, following, because mm -hmm. that's just not the case. And don't get me wrong, we do love the value. If we do lean away, we lean towards the value yeah. style. So yeah. we do see eye to eye with that. But I think it's um, it's more or less a blanket statement that he's saying out there, which may not apply to every single person. I think, uh, that's, I think, I think that's one way I would look at it. Yeah, I would finish by saying, as an investor, you need to understand the different meanings of risk and some will apply in scenario a some will apply in different b but it's really important that you have that the depth of that knowledge to make sure that you uh that you well that you understand the the, the complete picture that's all i would say on that so sure. uh, I, I think that kind of, i think that covers <laughs> off yeah just uh, again awesome comment and you're so polite jonathan thank you so much uh so feel free to disagree and we love these uh this dialogue because it does allow uh well good conversation good discussion and a little bit more uh, it's a little bit deeper discussion than just, you know, buy this stock or buy that stock. So keep it coming. For sure. Yeah. Uh, let's finish off with a question from Mark Small. What would sure. you suggest we do with money that is needed in a short to medium time frame? Like, mm. for example, an RESP where the kid is where the kids are starting university. Leaving it all invested in the market seems too risky in the current conditions, but bonds and bond funds give returns that are worse than inflation. Same thing with high interest savings accounts. Ha. And GICs. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, yeah, I I just this is a discussion that 
I mean, I actually just had over the weekend or basically chatting with a friend who's looking, he has his cash sitting aside and he's deciding high interest account. Like it's, it's a tricky one, but this is a conversation we have over and over and over and over and over again. But mm -hmm. um, what would well, you say here to Mark? Well, and this, this almost is a follow-up to what we just talked about in risk and, and uh, short to medium term, that's the key here. And so, you know, we talked about it and uh, Mark even says the term uses the term risky uh, in this case. So in this case, the risk is of the markets correcting. Let's say you have this money invested, you need it for your child to start college or university soon. Um, if the market takes a hit and, and if you really need that money to do this, then you can't afford to take the risk. It's one of those sad things, but sometimes you just have to mm -hmm. pull the risk off the table. I would mm -hmm. say, depending on the school program, if you have a, let's just say a relatively balanced portfolio with an equity component, your child's starting school next year. If they're on a four-year program, you're looking at a four or five-year window or time horizon. So um, if you decide to leave some money invested, and I don't think that's a horrible strategy, a component mm -hmm. of it, I don't I'll pick a number randomly if you know half of it or 25% or you know whatever 30% yeah 30% if you leave that in the equity markets there's a high <laughs> likelihood that 3 4 years from today that money even if it does take a hit now will have recovered meanwhile you've peeled off enough to pay for the first couple of years uh, of education a, a pretty broad statement it certainly doesn't appeal to everyone and it goes back to your willingness to take risk my philosophy has always been in a time frame like it's 3 to 4 years um, or even if it's a two-year program, especially, I've always just opted for taking that risk off the table or most of it off the table. And uh, it's just, the, you always look at what's the upside of growing the money more. You have better school, different school, more books, I'm not sure. But the downside is usually tangible. Now, if you've got $100,000 in an RESP, you're expecting the costs to be forty thousand for the for the plan. Well, you have some buffer there, but if you've got you know, thirty thousand dollars invested and you're expecting to spend thirty thousand dollars, it really does take the options out of your hands. So, yeah, um, a, a great question. Yeah, there's uh, you're not going to get much money right now on a bond or on a GIC or on a high interest savings account. That that those you know the name should be changed on those types of accounts yeah. in the conditions we're in now. But um, yeah, I, I would say caution is probably the better part of valor in a case like this. And just to tack on kind of what Jonathan's question before, mm -hmm. again, as you're going through that example, Dad, there's just a whole nother form of risk that we just talked about there, which is like, I think a lot of people would categorize it as downfall risk or not being able to hit your your goals. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. That is a completely different type of risk, which again, Jonathan's looking at it with one type of risk, which is, you know, uh, from the value investing approach. But in this case, Mark's faces a real risk of not being able to pay for this university if something happens in the market. So again, it's just a completely different, um, yeah, completely different discussion. But yeah, it, it is a very, to summarize, it's a very, very tricky one. And um, yeah, the high interest savings accounts, it's, it, it is a bit laughable at the, at the moment. <laughs> and to me, I, I even question, like, is it even worth popping it in there for whatever you get on a, on a basis, uh, yeah. yearly basis? I don't know. You can make that decision, but better safe than sorry, I think is the takeaway. Unless, unless you can unless you can invest it in a very you know low risk manner, um, which I think is also very very fair, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> not to just go on and on, but even I was looking at some bond funds, you know, some of the bond funds that we invest in, for example, even in our portfolio challenge, which we can cover later, you are still pulling in yields at two, three, four percent, especially as you get up to let's say a more aggressive bond fund, maybe yeah. an unconstrained fund or a high yield fund or a mix of both. You, know, you, you are still outpacing inflation at the end of the day, um, obviously better than your government bonds. But then again, you're, there's a, that, that risk that um, they will be more volatile. But again, there is, there is still 
opportunity to outpace inflation. Sure. I think that should be kind of stated. Yeah, that's a good point. There is, uh, you, you can outpace <clears throat> inflation, or at least the core inflation that's reported um, today. And uh, it depends or on- Or at least keep up, at least keep up with it, yeah. You, you should be able to do fairly well uh, over the medium term on that, yeah. Hey everybody, it's Brandon here. I'd like to interrupt today's episode very briefly to remind you that if you're looking for more training in the Canadian stock market, don't hesitate to check out our Investing Academy. You can join our private membership group and get access to our top stock picks, trade calls, portfolio insights, and a variety of tools that are helping our members all across the country better their own investing journeys. All it takes is one great stock idea or tip, and that alone can cover years and years of your subscription to our membership group. If you're looking for some additional video training to broaden your knowledge and expand your understanding of the stock market in Canada, we do of course offer a fully video online training program where you can learn from the comfort of your home amongst a variety of students across the country. Both of these products can be found at www.theinvestingacademy.ca where you can sign up for them online or schedule a call with us to learn more. Now back to our scheduled episode. I think so. Well, hey, let's switch on over to the activity within our accounts sure. because, as we mentioned, we made month. seven bu busy yeah. months, seven months, seven buys, one sell. Mm -hmm. Up on the screen, what you're looking at are a few of our buys here in the Quest Trade account, and uh, basically, they insisted are they included of the company Facebook, a new addition to the portfolio, FedEx. We also added TD Bank, which is a stock that we already held in our Wealth Simple account, so a bit of uh, duplication there. And then to hover over to some of the buys that we made in the Wealth Simple account, we added KO, aka Coca Cola. We added the ticker BTI, which is British American Tobacco. We added the company Unilever, ticker UL, and the company Merck. So four dividend stocks, all situated in the US. And uh, I think what we are going to do is really hone in on a couple of the purchases today, namely FedEx, mainly Facebook, and just share our thoughts with that. But uh, first and foremost, we did make a sell in the portfolio and sells don't come as often as buys. In fact, that goes as far as saying that they're much more infrequent. Mm -hmm. But in this case, the company that we did sell was Kirkland Lake Gold. And I did a video that I can actually link up for you guys, which basically went over the, the gist of it. And quite simply, this stock actually got bought out or there's a deal that was announced that this company would be, be getting acquired by another gold miner. And the simple fact of the matter is, was that when we invested in Kirkland Lake, we invested in Kirkland Lake and we didn't invest in Agnico or another company. It's a completely different, um, you have to basically take it back to square one and say, well, is this where I want to put my money? And it's possible that that stock is someone, one that we did want to hold. But at the end of the day, we were at about a break-even trade, and I think we just felt, uh, as a unit, that the the reasons why we invested in this company to begin with are no longer present. We're not going to be losing a whole bunch of money on this trade. It was essentially flat. In fact, I think it was up about a percent. So we could basically t take that sale, pay no commissions, all Canadian dollars, and just have about a thousand or so dollars extra to deploy into some other ideas that we see uh, that would be maybe more suitable. But that's that's basically the just the the reason behind the sell, quite simple. Yeah, and I think you did a a, a video more in depth. If if someone wants to take some more time uh, to yeah. look at that, um, let's look at the buys. And like you say, we're not going to cover every buy, but we're going to focus on Facebook and FedEx uh, today. This explains a little bit of the logic behind, and the logic kind of applies 
uh, across the board. But the first thing is, and I know a little bit later in the video, Brandon, you're going to show some slides uh, of yeah. how choppy the markets have been recently. And so there's no question in the last while the markets have been quite volatile. And, uh, you know, that's that's um, it provides opportunities it's, if, if you're if you're um, comfortable with a little bit of choppiness and if you are looking to be an equity investor. Um, we identified a couple of opportunities in the last couple of weeks that we thought we would um, want to take uh, that some positions in. And both of these are in the Quest Trade portfolio. So just a, a refresher, the Quest Trade portfolio is more of our growth oriented portfolio. We're willing to take some more risk in there than we would in the balance portfolio or the wealth trade portfolio. So let's start with Facebook and we bought uh, shares at about $332 a share. Um, one of the, you know, speaking of choppy markets, if we look at the, the, the recent chart on Facebook, we'll see a, a significant pullback and they, you know, they peaked out um, earlier in, in, early in September. But since then, up until the time that we bought, the stock had dropped almost 15%. And in and of itself, that's not a reason to buy a company. There could be very valid reasons, but I mean, there's, it's pretty clear this came about mostly because of all the negative press that was coming out about Facebook. When we look at it purely from a, a technical perspective or from a growth perspective or from a valuation perspective, I'm willing to, uh, we were willing to, to add this to our portfolio, given the track record of Facebook, given the potential upside yet, and the fact that they've weathered many a storm in the past and they're going through a storm now and you know they will weather many a storm uh, going forward as well when we look at the uh, valuation metrics we can put up a chart here that shows the uh, the pe ratio of 24 right now this is you know after the pullback that compares to around 28 on their five-year average and uh, i want to speak a little bit the bottom part of this cha uh, chart shows the peg ratio and um, that's that's a ratio that um, I don't know if a lot of people use that. The PE is certainly the most common. If you are interested in learning more about the PEG ratio, the price earnings to growth, um, I did a video recently that explains that in more detail. And when you take the price earnings ratio, which has come down below their longer term average, and now let's look at some growth aspects. So, so if you take that PE ratio and if you overlay that and look at some of the growth aspects, this chart I'm putting up right now shows on most of the generally accepted uh, growth metrics, Facebook right now looks like a uh, looks like it's it's you know it's a strong growing company. Attractive, yeah. It, it's very attractive in that respective. And so you look at the strong growth with that valuation right now. Again, if you can look past that um, the the bad news, the negative headlines, um, it, it looks like it's presenting a reasonable opportunity. On that note, one of the things that we typically look at is what are the other analysts saying. And if we look at uh, the the Wall Street analysts, um, they're uh, consensus is bullish right now. If we look at uh, Seeking Alpha, it shows 32 very bullish calls, nine bullish, uh, eight neutral, one bearish, and one very bearish. If we look at the price target of uh, 416 right now in that range, and we bought it, like I say, at about $332. So there's a lot of upside potential um, in, in, in the company that uh, for the purposes of which we're buying it here, uh, we're comfortable with it and uh, I don't see it going anywhere. I mean, I'm not a huge Facebook fan, quite frankly, but we're you know, not here to express our opinions. We're here to uh, invest. And so for those of you who this would be appropriate, that might be a good addition to a growth oriented portfolio, given what's going on lately. Now, that's another what, company. That, oh, sorry. Well, go go ahead. Say that, yeah. That's funny because I'm not a Facebook fan either for some um, ethical reasons. And it's mm -hmm. funny how, again, 
I've thought for many, many years that Facebook has been a good stock to watch, to own, and it's been yeah. watched on my watch list for so, so long. Yeah. And I've made probably over the channel a number of videos on Facebook as a stock to buy, but it's also not a stock that I would buy for my personal portfolio. And I know it'd be the same for you in your own personal investing portfolio. You don't own Facebook, but hey, we got a public portfolio up here. <laughs> this may be within what people uh, feel is a good stock for them. And it's a chance to finally get in on the stock. And I had one question for you, Dad. Did mm. you feel... Um, did you feel bad when there was that Facebook outage? Did you miss out on a lot? No, not at all. <laughs> I was upset the other day. The power went out at the house here and we were watching, I think it was maybe game five of the ALCS or, um, I was watching a baseball game and we missed the last part of the game. Thankfully, we still had 3G obviously, and we we're able to stream a little bit on the phone, but no, I didn't miss, I don't do Instagram. <laughs> Um, yeah. Messenger, WhatsApp, yep, your oh, you're WhatsApp, yeah. Uh, so yeah. no, I I didn't skip a beat. <laughs> Glad to say, good. Hey, well, if YouTube good. went I know, down, I, I know. I'd have a trouble. <laughs> if YouTube went down, that'd be a big problems. But yeah, no, I think a lot of a lot of people. Uh, there was a lot of commotion when when those did go down, and I I, although I'm like wheezing off, weeding off uh, those platforms, yeah. you still you still you still notice it. You know, you still there was multiple times a day where I actually just whipped out my phone and just by you know, automatically went to go refresh my feed. And uh, I guess it was just yeah. almost second nature at that point. That, that's when you realize, oh crap, I'm looking at this way too much. Well, and it is interesting how how everybody, so many people claim to hate Facebook and I don't like Facebook. I know I'm never gonna use Facebook. Yeah. And yet when yeah. this happens, it's a big deal. Well, it shouldn't really be a big deal. It kind of reminds me of the old days when uh, when they cut back meals on aircraft because people for decades complained about the food on aircraft, but the moment they stopped serving food, there was yeah. a big uproar, same kind of thing. So I don't know, you can't win, can't lose. Can't win for losing, as they say. There so, you go. Well, hey, let's yeah. uh, let's switch over to FedEx, which is gonna be the next company that uh, we added. And sure. uh, yeah, we we added this stock at uh, $225.43. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, very similar data. I mean, I can let you take over on this chart if you'd like to speak on it. But again, we saw another pretty significant dip. This one double the size of Facebook's drop. Uh, yeah, about a drawdown of about 30%. 30% drawdown and uh, you know, I, I get, well, obviously this, the company's out of favor right now and there's, there are some headwinds, no question about it. And I think the biggest talked about headwind out there right now is uh, what's happening with Amazon and Amazon is yeah. building up their own delivery service and clearly they're a big contributor to FedEx's, uh, you know, revenues and bottom line. So I, I think that's legitimate. But is it enough? Is is it you know has the pendulum swung too far in a thirty cent thirty percent correction on FedEx? I think the answer is yes. I don't see FedEx going away. Will they have to adjust? Absolutely. But you know again, they're a proven company. Uh, when you look at uh, again, I'm going to look specifically at this combination of the valuation and the growth. And in this case, I mean their valuation. Let's have a look at this at this tables here showing valuation metrics and you know across the board or up and down the line here uh, doesn't matter almost any way you look at a valuation measurement on this company they're trading at attractive values there uh, about 11 and a half on a PE ratio compared to their longer term five-year average of around 15 or so and that price to earning to growth the peg ratio in green there at 0.78 and just as a refresher for those who aren't familiar, um, you know, there's no golden rule, but generally if a company is trading below with a peg ratio of under one, that mm. signifies that there could be some, um, you know, there could be a, a good opportunity to pick that up there. 
analyst, raise, uh, analyst rating on FedEx. Uh, again, predominantly bullish in this company here. Uh, you mentioned, Brian, I think 225 we bought that company at, and the price target is about 308. Uh, from Wall Street. So when I when we factored in um, predominantly, you know, it caught my attention with that big drop and started looking at the, oh, is this something more permanent? Uh, but I just think there's a good value in that company right now. And FedEx is a company that I would own also in the Wealth Simple. Uh, more balanced account. We didn't buy it in that mm -hmm. account. Uh, pretty volatile right now, but it, it's a company that I would be comfortable holding in either of those portfolios without question. So those are kind of a bit of the logic, a bit of the story behind both Facebook and FedEx as to why we added them to the portfolio. We, you know, we don't have time to go into every other company, but um, yeah. our, every companies that we added. Uh, a quick note though, uh, we did add with the other companies that we added to um, the Wealth Simple. One of the main objectives was to get just add depth to the portfolio. You know, we, yep. we added basically to the consumer staple section uh, sectors, which uh, you know, even if there is this continued shakiness in the market, uh, the, the, we'll it would err a little bit on the side of caution in those, and uh, they should provide some good resilience to the portfolio uh, as a whole. We can talk. I think no more doubt. About, yeah, yeah. I, mm. I don't think we need to get in too deep because again, mm. these are just on the screen. They're looking at them, but it's just for quality dividend stocks, um, mm. some with higher yields than others. But for that, I don't think we'd have any issue with going forward. And it's just, again, you're getting exposure to multiple sectors in, with these additions alone. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just a way of bringing up that yield in our portfolio just uh, slowly and steadily as we go. But hey, like we're about 30 minutes into this presentation. So I say we kind of wrap up and sure. uh, we can now finish with the portfolio update. So now you've kind sure. of seen the insides. Let's look at it from a 30,000 foot view. And uh, yeah, a reminder, this started five months ago. Each account started at $20,000 a piece. But uh, yeah, here's the Wealth Simple one trading today at $25,605 with a total of about 15 positions. Um, Quest Trade, on the other hand, again, very similar returns. This one's also sitting at $25,000. Um, yeah, very different paths. Uh, if we actually did, we did a little bit of a number crunch here and, and we have seen quite a bit of range in returns. Uh, the volatility that we've seen within the holdings have been quite big. I mean, if you look at this chart alone, we have our highest performing stock being Google or Alphabet, up 22% since the time we purchased. Well, on the downside, we have Alibaba down 26%. So you have even swings pretty much both ways. Uh, if you look at the portfolio, you got about half of them up, half of them down. And I really, really like this chart that we actually talked about in our last video when you were here. Remember that, Dad, when we basically talked about the choppy markets and we talked mm. about, for example, the S&P 500 on a daily basis, you know, the past few months have just been choppy. About 50% of the days up, 50% of the days down. It's the exact same on the TSX. Uh, you're seeing just as much green as you are red. And of course, the NASDAQ is a very similar story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I think the takeaway from that is that, you know, our performance, the fact that our stocks, half of them are up, half of them are down, this is a pretty good representation of the market. You know, it'd be a different story if the markets have powered on and all we've seen is green, 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 and then we have half of our account in the red. Well, that'd be mm -hmm. maybe not the brightest thing, but uh, yeah, not to be the dead horse. We've shown this chart as well so many times, but it's that range of, uh, of returns that you can expect over a one-year period, over a five-year, over a 10-year, 20-year rolling period we're still very much in this first uh, time frame here and it's it's quite common to see the ups and downs it, it doesn't mean anything about the companies being uh, more or less poor selections or more or less uh, bad companies that we've selected
not amazing companies, not poor companies. And um, this, I think what's happened over the last five months is really coincidentally, or maybe not, very, very representative of how, uh, you know, the, the whole purpose here is starting from zero and building up a portfolio. And this is what you're going to see time and time again. Interestingly, even though the, the returns at the end of the day have been, like you mentioned, Brandon, pretty similar from the growth portfolio to the uh, balanced portfolio, the variances have been much more. You, you know, you looked at Alphabet, that's in the growth portfolio, up 22, 23%. You look at BABA in the growth portfolio being down. And if you, um, you know, if we look at sort of the full range, the vast majority of the wealth simple portfolio is more sort of a smaller range, mm -hmm. um, but some up, some down. And uh, the, uh, the growth portfolio, a wider range is exactly what you'd expect. Now, if the markets had over the last five months powered up, I would have expected the growth portfolio to be significantly higher than the balanced portfolio. Conversely, if the markets had you know gone on a, on a decline, I would expect the opposite. You would expect the wealth simple value, uh, portfolio to hold its value more than the growth. And uh, I like the fact that we have these two different portfolios because we will, as we go through the coming months, we will see those times again where it's not a day up or a day down, but we'll see some periods where we have longer sustained growth or declines. And that will really highlight the difference in the, in the, uh, the different types of portfolios, which is, you said, that's one of the main reasons we're doing it this way is to, um, mm -hmm. is to have mm -hmm. to, to, to highlight those. So it's been a good, uh, a good educational uh, sort of uh, experience so far, uh, showing different paths, but at the end of the day, same, uh, same destiny, same numbers. Um, and I, the chart that you had showed, showed just a bit or two earlier, in the short term, we're going to see this. Uh, now, all of these companies we would expect as time goes by are going to yeah. start, you know, getting closer and closer together. And we don't want a portfolio that's doing one thing only. To me, that's a sign of a right. poorly constructed portfolio. If it's way up or way down, you're always going to have, if you have a, a properly diversified portfolio, you're going to see a little bit of each within the different constituents within the within the plan itself. That's kind of my take and on, on that. And just, to and just to finish that off and dial that point in, if we put mm -hmm. up a basically a a screenshot here of uh, of the quest trade growth portfolio what we see is in terms of the sector allocation very very heavily weighted in mm -hmm. infotech or technology you yeah. have your consumer uh, communication services you have your industrials three more or less we can call them growth sectors when we do toggle over to our wealth simple balance portfolio yeah. well you see that the top weighted sectors are very different consumer staples financials fixed income obviously um, again, just kind of displaying that difference for you guys. But I think, uh, yeah, with that, I think we should wrap it up here. Sure. Um, unless you have any final thoughts, but uh, if you guys enjoyed so far and you know you appreciate these updates again, I will remind you, please take a moment and drop a thumbs up. Great. Uh, subscribe to the channel if, if you aren't already subscribed. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, one final thing that I forgot to mention, our cash weighting still ranges in, in the total portfolio between 10 and 13%. 10 for, mm -hmm. uh, I believe it is our question portfolio, 13% for the wealth simple portfolio. But let's other, just other way, about. 10, 10 other for way wealth simple, 10, uh, 13, 13 or so. For, 13 for quest trade. Ballpark, let's just call mm -hmm. an average there of 11 and a half, 12% cash yeah. mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day. Yeah. So, so when that, you know, where um, what we saw over the last month, we did see us put some of that cash and we'd been sitting at around 20%. Um, you know, on average prior to this. And so we were able to take some of that cash and, you know, we're hoping that we got some good value on the companies that we did add to the portfolio. And if we see, uh, gee, uh, 
you know, with the market, the markets will give us what they're going to give us. And I would be mm -hmm. welcome. Uh, I'd, I'd welcome some gyrations in the in the near term to put the rest of that money or, you know, another chunk of that. And uh, which we've already seen. Yeah, which we've already seen. And again, I, we should wrap up here. We should mm -hmm. we really, really should. But I mean, for people that have been following along religiously for each of our updates, like maybe two months ago, three months ago, we specifically made a video saying we're not making that many purchases at the moment. Like yeah, we said, yeah. hey, sorry guys, we're just not making that many. Do you still want updates? It's, it's how it is. Yeah. Then you come to this month and we made seven additions. Mm -hmm. So hopefully that's a good teaching point as well. Like you said, we take what the market gives us and yeah. we had that cash ready. We weren't uh, over eager going back a few months, but now that we've seen the choppiness, now that the markets are starting to present us with you know opportunities, maybe nothing drastic yet, you see more and more cash deployed, which I really think is the name of the game at the end of the day. Yeah, um, we're finishing up. I will uh, mention again, we so appreciate the comments that you put down below this video here. There has been there have been some amazing, uh, insightful comments that have been made, and we welcome those. Uh, I, I know one of the favorite you know parts of this presentation or of this video is the Q and A, and we hope to keep that going there. So um, give us those questions. If you disagree with some of the strategies, throw it out there. Please be polite. Leave it you know, down I'm a below. Old guy. Yeah. I'm not, I can't. I can't take all the abuse that uh, sometimes the internet dishes out as well as Brandon can. But no, you'll be fine. We'll be I, fine. I, I, I'm sure I will be. But if there's a way to say something we politely disagree with you, bring it on because uh, that's uh, you know maybe teach us a thing or two, or we'll um, it'll be a great talking point for our next video. So we welcome that. And I appreciate even if we didn't answer your question. Uh, thanks for leaving them because we try and consolidate and work them in. If you like a question, someone else left, give it a thumbs up because that's another indicator of what is, you know, what people are looking for uh, for us that's to answer. Right. Mm. For sure. Well, hey, let's wrap it up here, guys. Thank you all for sticking with us throughout the video. If you haven't already, again, I'll remind you, please drop a thumbs up, subscribe if you aren't, so you can see more content like this. And then uh, last but not least, as always, we do have our investing academy. If you are someone in Canada who wants to become part of our community, you want to look at courses, training, our private membership group, that is all down in the description below. You can go ahead and visit our website to check out more. But um, yeah, with that said, I think we can wrap it up here. Good to see you, Dad. Good to see you, Brad. It was nice last week when I was in Vancouver and we could just sit side by side and do our videos. But oh, yeah. 2021, next best thing. So good to see you. Next, for sure. Well, hey, guys, thank you all for watching. Have Everybody have a great uh, week. And um, yeah, you too. Have a great week over there, Dad. Thanks, Brad. See you, everybody. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.